Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 8th of May, 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Joy. So, a Christian woman, all set for a happier retirement with her husband, when on the brink of this happening, he suddenly drops dead of a heart attack. She's distraught, of course, but rather than being overcome by bitterness, she somehow finds the strength to use her life to serve and care for young people in need in the local area. A Christian man, this time in his early 50s. He's worked hard in his career, worked hard to provide for his family. He's kept himself fit by running half and full marathons, and he's suddenly struck down with terminal cancer. And yet he manages somehow to retain good humour appreciation of what he has had in his life and an absolute determination to make the most of the time that he has left. Another Christian woman, like the first one, a bit older, who gives much of her life to teaching and raising her family, only for her husband to promptly leave her for someone else, and who somehow responds, again, not with bitterness, anger, or abandoning her faith, but by deciding that God has provided her with the opportunity to serve him through missionary work in Africa. All three examples are people I know and I can visualise as I speak. The pictures weren't real ones. And the factor that enables them to somehow cope with those savage blows, the thing that gives clarity to the somehow of their ability to cope with these things and carry on in such a positive spirit, well, that thing is joy. But before we go on, we need to be clear about what joy is and what it isn't as well. One of the easiest ways, in fact, to define joy is to first establish what it isn't. Now, I did an assembly on this at Christchurch School a few years ago in fact, I wonder whether Dexter might have been in it. He might even have been one of the people that I asked to help me. But I decided to, in this assembly on joy, to firstly try and make clear what joy isn't before we then went on to think about what it was. And the way I did it was to get kids up the front and to ask them to say really sad things, but in a really happy voice. And the result was quite comical as I got kids up the front and they had to make a huge smiley face and say in a really excited voice things like, my favourite toy got broken last week, or all my friends have started being horrible to me. And what I said to those kids, having done that, is that joy is emphatically not that. Joy is not a denial that bad things happen. Joy is not trying to pretend that bad things are good things in disguise. Joy instead, I said to those children, with the help of a pair of scales, joy is fully acknowledging the presence of the bad things in life. It's being completely honest about that. It's not trying to disguise that. It's not trying to play it down. But it's knowing that those bad things are outweighed by something that is much better. And the thing that outweighs the bad stuff and produces what Christians call joy is God's promise of resurrection and new creation. 
You see, God has promised that the way things are now in this world is not going to be his final word. The way things are now in the hardship and the difficulty isn't the way that things are going to stay. God is one day going to put all things right. God is going to vindicate those who are being treated unfairly. God is going to liberate this world from every single thing that is wrong with it. And his renewed and restored people will be at the heart of that redeemed and restored world. How do we know that's going to happen? We know it because of Easter. Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that that process is already underway. The process has already started of injustice and every form of evil being reversed and the innocent vindicated. And Easter points to how everything will one day be made in its entirety. And joy is knowing that this is true. Meaning that we also know that all of the bad stuff in the present, while really tough and really painful and frequently utterly horrible, knowing those things will not have the final word. And that's what gives joy its depth and its permanence. Now the danger with the kids' song that we sung earlier, while wonderful in lots of ways, is it can rather blur the difference between joy and happiness but they are very, very different. Happiness, you see, goes up and down, doesn't it? Happiness is dependent on circumstances and what's happening to us. Happiness is an appropriate response sometimes, but it wouldn't be an appropriate response to when bad things happen, but happiness is different from joy. Joy is different. Joy is something steadier. Joy is something more constant because it's the inner confidence that God is on the job. Joy is the confidence that however difficult and painful things are in the present, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God has both ultimately and with very clear signs in the present got it all in hand. And the part of the Bible that displays this more clearly really than any other part is Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, which is really quite different in its uh, character from a lot of Paul's letters, because it is totally full of joy. In fact, it's often known as the epistle of joy. And Paul, when he writes this letter, he's not in some wonderful situation. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison, possibly at Ephesus, possibly in Rome. And during this time, Paul is in a very frustrating situation. Paul is not only in prison, he has to endure the knowledge that other Christian leaders who were ambitious and envious of him were trying to undermine his work and stir up trouble for him. And added to this, Paul wasn't sure what was going to happen to him. He was reasonably confident he'd survive because he sensed that God still had work that he wanted him to do. But Paul knows that the end of his life could possibly be soon upon him. And all of this is reported by Paul in this letter in complete honesty. He doesn't play it down. He doesn't try and sort of uh, pretend it's not happening. And yet joy still permeates every part of this letter. Paul speaks about his own joy. He constantly urges the Philippians to have joy. He says, rejoice. 
And it's all because, as I say, he's got absolute confidence, absolute certainty in the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And therefore, the future resurrection of all of God's people as part of the time when God acts to put everything right. And the key part of this letter in this regard are those verses from chapter 3 where Paul speaks about those who can only focus on earthly things before then going on to say this, but our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And we await, and interestingly, he doesn't say that's where we'll go. He talks about a saviour coming from there. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We live on earth, Paul is saying, but we're invested in heaven. And the saviour who will one day come from there to bring everything in this earth under control and to bring us resurrection life. And perhaps as you listen to this this morning, you feel in need of such joy. We all do really, don't we? The last two years have been really tough for all of us with COVID, but many of us have also had very specific things to cope with as well. It might have been the loss of people dear to you. That certainly did affect people within this church. It might be mental health issues. It might be struggles in some other way. It might be difficulties within our families. I've had, as has been fairly well publicised, my fair amount of troubles with some of them far from over. And what we all need to see through these difficult times is the assurance that God does care that God isn't indifferent and crucially he is going to do something about the injustice and the hardship that we're facing. If Easter had never happened we couldn't be sure of this but it has. We had a wonderful celebration of it just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really is alive and that means that the future that God has promised is guaranteed. And that, I repeat, is the basis of joy. The settled, permanent sense of knowing that however tough things are, they will ultimately be okay. The joy that can, through a relationship with the Jesus who is alive, become part of our life. And when we receive that joy, there's a number of ways that it will make a massive difference to our lives. There's a num number of different impacts it will make. Firstly, and I've really talked a bit about this already, but joy provides us with a different attitude towards our difficulties. Paul, sitting there in prison, is so sure of the future that God has promised that he has a totally different attitude towards both his imprisonment and the limitations that it supposed imposed upon his Christian ministry. In both cases, Paul could be forgiven for railing against the injustice of it all, couldn't he? But instead, Paul's faith in the future that God has promised not only allows him to accept this as all part of the path towards his ultimate deliverance, it even enables Paul to see the positives that has emerged, that have emerged from it. Now, I want to be really clear about this. 
Paul isn't saying that the negatives are positives in disguise, but he's saying that God has been able to bring positives even out of the most unpromising circumstances. So what Paul says here is that his imprisonment has actually enabled the whole palace guard to know that he's in chains for Christ. Because Paul has got so much joy, he's able to notice that, that actually him being banged up in prison has uh, resulted in loads of people knowing about Jesus who wouldn't before because this guy is in prison for proclaiming him. But Paul goes on. He says it's enabled his more genuine Christian brothers to speak up more boldly in his absence. Paul being in prison has meant that some of the people who perhaps were less confident before have really risen to the plate in proclaiming Jesus. And Paul even says this, which is amazing. If there are others who preach Jesus Christ out of envy and ambition or to store up trouble for Paul, Paul's able to say, actually, the really important thing is that Christ is still being proclaimed. And these are really astonishing statements for someone unjustly imprisoned while being stitched up by people who should be his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yep, there's more than a bit here that resonates with my experience over the last year. But the crucial thing is that joy transforms this situation for Paul. It doesn't deny that the bad stuff is happening, but it puts a completely different perspective on it. And that's because faith in the future that God has promised is for Paul such a reality that he's living part of that future now. And that's what gives joy its supernatural power. Joy itself is part of God's promised future coming into the present, coming into the now through the Holy Spirit. See, the task of the Holy Spirit is to bring that promised future that we have, to bring part of it into the present reality of our lives. And joy is a big part of that. That's what, as I say, gives joy its supernatural power. That's why joy has such a transforming effect on those who experience it. When we're near to someone who has joy, it has a transforming effect. It affects other people beyond just them. So are there situations that you are facing at the moment where you can take a similar attitude? Undeniably tough situations which you might be tempted to see totally negatively, which you could be forgiven for seeing totally negatively, but where belief that Jesus has risen and therefore God will sort everything out can give you a joy that supplies a similar strength and indeed a positivity in the face of those difficulties. It's worth thinking about where this precisely applies in our life at the moment. Most people are usually carrying around one thing that's particularly troubling them. There may be more than one. But how can a Christian approach to joy and what that means, and crucially what it doesn't mean, how can that speak into our situation at the moment? Knowing that things will one day put, be put right does make all the difference. That's why we have expressions like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. That expression doesn't mean things are fine now, does it? But it means the person can see that things will be fine. So we all buy into this to some degree. And joy is an extension of that principle. It's knowing 
that ultimately God will sort things out and the difference that then makes to even the biggest difficulties that we face if we let it. So that's one effect that joy has, and another is this. Joy makes us see status symbols differently. Now, we didn't have this part read because we couldn't have too much read this morning, but right in the middle of this letter to the Philippians, Paul runs through all of the things that he was once proud of, all of the status markers that once meant so much. Uh, There are loads of things, but I've summarised them by him saying, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He lists all the credentials that once he'd been so proud of, and he then says, I consider them all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, actually, he uses a much ruder word than rubbish, believe it or not, the word skybala, which I'll leave you to Google and find out what that means. But even when we translate it more politely, the point is clear that what God has done in Jesus Christ and what God will do in Jesus Christ should completely relativise all of those symbols of status that we can so easily, all of us, including me, see as all-important. And I think the application of this probably takes even more effort, particularly within our culture, than the one I've just talked about. Because status markers matter so much in our world, don't they? Having the right job, having the right promotion within that job, having the right holidays, having the right relationships, or failing this, seeing our kids have these things. And some of these things, when we attain them, can bring us an emotion that does look a bit like joy. But it's always temporary. Because those things are created things, what they bring is also transient. They can and they will all ultimately pass away. Anything that is transient, that isn't eternal, can only bring things that are transient with it. They can be good things. We can get a lot out of them. But we cannot look to transient things, things that are passing, to bring us what is eternal. However good those things are, and they are good, we need something more eternal to base our security upon. And that thing that can actually liberate us to get the most out of the good things in life, if we let it, is once again our faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who will one day sort out this world, and whom, through Jesus Christ, has already given us a wonderful status and identity in him. We're going to do a load of baptisms in the next few weeks, starting off with uh, Sophie Davis uh, next Sunday. And when someone is baptised, as I said down at St John's last Sunday, it's not just about the person being baptised, crucial and central while they are. It's about all of us remembering our own baptism, whenever that took place. Most people here have been baptised. And the status that that gives us in God's sight, a permanent status as God's precious son or daughter. Lastly, joy transforms our behaviour. Look at these verses, which is a summary of where Paul starts off by exhorting the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he goes into a whole list of uh, seemingly random qualities, but actually they're all springing from this joy. Let your gentleness, he says, be evident to all. 
And then, just in case people wonder why he's saying that, he says the Lord is near. Jesus is going to return, sort things out. And later on, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The truth is that we find joy springing from the confidence that Jesus has risen from the dead and God will therefore sort out this world and then we become people who start being changed. We become people who are more gentle. We become people who are less angry, particularly when we face things that are unjust or unfair. The reason we'll be able to cope with those things is because we know, as I say, they're not going to have the final word, that God will one day put everything right. And that will bring with it the contentment that is able to see more clearly the things that we do have in the present. It will give us the peace about those things that we don't yet have. And it will give us the gentleness that we need to make sure that we're staying right in the middle of all this. When we're being badly treated, it is such a challenge to keep ourselves right. Because there is all the reason in the world to think we should give a bit back to the person or the situation that's treating us badly. But Paul knows that when Christians have absolute confidence about the future that God is going to bring and the joy that comes from that, it brings a gentleness and a peacefulness and a self-discipline that won't return evil with evil because it's so confident that God has things in hand. So back to those people that I began with. All of those people have, through their faith in Jesus Christ, and specifically through their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they've all found a joy that has managed somehow to outweigh the terrible things that have happened in their lives. Joy, to repeat, doesn't mean pretending the bad things are anything other than bad. But they are relativised. They're relativised by a joy that because it comes from God has an eternal transforming power which then, like everything from God, can make a massive difference in our life. And because Jesus Christ is for everyone and because Jesus' resurrection from the dead is for everyone, this joy actually is something that every single one of us is able to possess. Let's just pray for a moment before Tim comes and leads us further in prayer. Let's bring before God the greatest area of difficulty in our life or the one most apparent to us at this particular moment. Father God, it's so difficult to keep our faith in you when problems seem intractable and completely unfair and unjust. But we ask, Lord God, that the truth of Easter, the truth that we are still celebrating at this time of year, would give us the assurance that you have got everything in hand and you will reverse everything bad within this world. Lord God, would you use this to bring us that supernatural joy that comes from you, that transforms life. We pray particularly if we're struggling from the midst of that place of difficulty 
and uncertainty and worry and anxiety. We pray for a greater sense of the reality of you and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray for that transforming joy in Jesus' name. Amen.